Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. We've got a great Women in Safety episode for you today. If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're returning, it's great to have you back. Please hit the subscribe and share button if you enjoy this episode. We've got some fabulous guests with us today. We have Anne Gardner Aston, who is the HSE leader and managing partner of Safety Positive Consulting. Fumi Adebola, who's the CEO of CTS Globe and the founder of Society of Women in Safety, Health, and Environment Africa, and Kathy Seabrook, who is the CEO and founder of Global Solutions, Inc. We will be discussing what is human capital, sustainability, and how these influence the future of occupational health and safety and business. Now let's get into the show. So I wanted to ask just right off the top, what is human capital and how does it fit into a sustainable business model consisting of six capitals? What are these? Who wants to go in and try that first? Kathy, why don't you go ahead? I'm going to throw it to you. I'd be happy to. <laughs> Human capital is near and dear to my heart. I'm uh, um, I'm one of the ambassadors for the Capitals Coalition. And so human capital is part of that. Um just kind of putting this in the context of business, um, there are six capitals in capitalism um, throughout the world. And um, that's manufacturing, intellectual property, um, that's human capital, that's natural capital, which is the environment. Um, and then there's the social capital, which are the relationships a business has. So with their suppliers, with their customers, with communities, governments, et cetera. So just to kind of put that in the context of business and why this is like way bigger than health and safety and way bigger than human resources, to be honest, um, because a company is actually valued on how they treat uh, uh, their, their human capital. And hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about this throughout this podcast. But the concept of human capital and for me in terms of health and safety, you know, I always say people at the core of every thriving business and in order for them to actually be able to contribute, um, that's influenced by their health, um, their safety, and their, their well-being. And to me, that, that sets it out as to we are interdependent. There is no human capital, human resources, um, safety and health. It's, it's all interdependent. Um, and so when you think of human capital, it's people. It's people working in organizations. And that doesn't just mean employees. That means uh, interns. That means visitors to, uh, to a site, for example. Um, that means your supply chain. So the workers in your supply chain and your contractors workers. Human capital as a, as a topic is not something that I've really ever come across except since knowing Louise and yourself and so on. Um, but the more I hear about it, the more I read about it, the more I realize it's just everything that has been happening in a health and safety career right from the get go. Um, it's just that it's it's you know it's defined in a certain way, but I think we all we all can understand what human capital is if we've worked in in that environment, and it's becoming more and more important. I think as as you know, we bring 
the people aspect into health and safety to making it more people centered um and that's where human capital really comes into its own i think i mean if i could just add on actually mm -hmm. um you know tamara is just leaving off where uh kathy sort of left it and also Anne is really just moving from moving into a space where everything should be centered around, you know, the workforce about the people, right? Um, I think businesses, if you look at it from a corporate or business perspective, where it's always been about profit, if you mm -hmm. see what I mean, but it's now a paradigm shift of saying, you know what, it's still about productivity, you know, it, the profit, you still would make your profit, but where there is a healthy workforce then you have a healthy bottom line so it's kind of like changing the perspective a little bit from just profit driven but rather um people driven where you get better production productivity level rather and also your bottom line as well is healthier so i'd like to build on uh, what you just said funny because i think one of the things our profession you know the safety and health profession does is we don't think about the big picture we don't think about context um, you know, all the standards, the ISO standards now are really getting uh, companies who are implementing to be thinking about context. And our profession, you know, we are focused on people. We've always been, to Anne's point, always on, on people. And this concept of human capital, for some safety and health professionals, they feel it's pretty cold, right? It's like, what do you mean? But the reality is, the stakeholder groups, if we are really, really thinking uh, as safety and health professionals about the greater business, um, then we start to understand what our CFOs, right? Our C-suite is talking about, what the investment community is talking about, and they are looking at the capitals. So if we can align, then we become, I always say we, we are the line of sight to the boardroom with a line of sight to the C-suite, to the actual decision makers. And that at least from, from, from the capitals and the capital coalition and from my perspective, um, when we start having those conversations in our company, we don't have to sell safety and health, yeah. right? It's just, it's part of the dialogue. It's part of how business is done to, to Fumi's point. Um, productivity, um, concepts of, of, of innovative solution creation, um, decision-making, and it really all does come down to decision-making. It becomes just part and parcel, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. to the business. Mm -hmm. Now, Kathy, um, when we were kind of uh, communicating back and forth a little bit before, you brought up something about company drivers and benefits for managing human capital. Really hoping from this group, just much like my audience is, is that we can under, understand together more about this idea that you guys are bringing forward. Yes. Well, there's this confluence that's happening in the world, and it's the confluence of stakeholder expectations. And so when we talk about stakeholders, you know, in the past, really as safety and health professionals, we think about the communities. So, for example, medical, um, you know, fire um, in the communities, um, departments, things like that. Um, but that is now expansive. So it's changing the math, changing the conversation, changing the rules, and thinking about the system in which we are working. And so when we think about that, it's about changing the motivations and the incentives. And that's just, that's happening in the world right now. And because of human capital, it's this concept of people being valued 
versus people being a cost. And we've all, we've just seen this, right, with COVID. And with COVID, it's this, and there are many companies like this, right? They downsized, they made their people redundant. And in doing that, they were not actually valuing them. And here's, here's the confluence. We've now have investors. So if you're a publicly traded company, we have investors that are actually asking questions. They're saying, what are you doing to provide safety and health in terms of COVID or any kind of um, you know, preparedness for pandemics and in general for business continuity? Because it's a risk, right, to the business. And so the um, investment community, as well as customers, because they're not getting their products and services, are starting to say, how are you managing? to have the people that you need, their skill sets, their knowledge, their abilities um, to be able to do the work. And just real quick, an example, um, Ford Motor Company, um, uh, sorry, an, an American example, but Ford Motor Company, which is global, um, no one was buying cars during COVID. So what did they do? They innovated and they needed people to figure this out. They rejigged their lines and they started making ventilators. Mm -hmm. right? That's innovation. That's a company being able to change on a dime. And you can appreciate a large company. That's really hard. Um, but that you need your people. And so it's this, this change in value and that those conversations around value versus cost for your people. So that's sort of, those are the benefits. So your investors, if you're publicly traded, and even if you're not, um, your customers might be. And this whole world of sustainability, um, environmental, social, and governance, all kind of playing into um, expectations of customers. Like all of us on this call, if, we're, if it's a consumer product, for example, um, we want to know, I mean, Nike's a great example. Um, uh, Apple's a great example where they had issues in the past um, and they kind of turned it around in terms of reputational risk and, you know, it, it's changed things. Kathy, you made a very, very um, interesting point there, really, because it's about, again, I think at the end of today's podcast, we're hoping people's um, the objective is that people's mindset would kind of shift a little bit and um, shift in primarily, you know, from seeing people as, not just a greatest asset that people would normally say, but rather the only asset, um, you know, an organization really does have. And again, moving away from senior people as though as they're a cost rather than, you know, because then when you hear and when you hear health and safety, generally speaking, you also people think it as think of it as a cost center rather than seen as a value adding, um, you know, value adding profession or exercise in, in itself in, in an organization so it's really hoping that people after today can see when we're talking about human capital is people being rather value as opposed to um, a cost exactly it's it's the it's the value um, they bring to the company so thinking about the market capitalization thinking about the share price that that and really truly looking at the the true value of a company, not just the financial impacts, um, but also the non-financial, which are people. So yeah, absolutely great. Yeah, and, and in the words of Richard Branson, you know, clients do not come first, employees do, you know, and if you take care of them, they take care of your client and they take care of your business. So it's, it's pretty much that straightforward actually, um, going by Richard's statement, yeah. It is, and when you, when you come into the field of, 
of safety and health and start looking at, at how things have, have shifted over the past few years, moving towards this safety too notion. That's what it's all about. So it's all, you know, whether it's whether it's playing catch up on human capital or whether it's, you know, maybe driving it in some ways. Um, the idea that, that people are not the problem, they are inherently the solution to whatever it is, certainly from a safety and health, potentially well-being, productivity aspect that you're trying to fix. Um, and it's, it's it makes so much sense when you think exactly what Cathy and Fumi have just outlined, that you will get really nowhere as a company unless your employees have trust in you, um, mm-hmm. that you invest in them in terms of not only financial, but uh, responsibility, ownership, um, and accountability, and they reward you with the trust of, of a good day's work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a, a feeling of self-responsibility for making sure that themselves and, you know, their their colleagues are all safe at the end of the day. So it's it's absolutely win-win for me. I can't, I, can't, I don't understand why companies would do any different. Mm. And I'd, I'd kind of like to drill a little bit more down on looking at um, human capital in relation to employees. Because from my experience in the work world, there's a set of employees that are highly respected. We know them as the C-suite or anybody with a management title. And then the set of employees that are viewed as disposable, the frontline workers who are... Um, engaging in the production side of the service or product. If we're really looking at, um, you know, thinking about our human capital as an asset, everybody, right from the CEO to our suppliers, how do we go through this journey of getting everybody to be respected? I, I, can I come in quickly? <laughs> I was just going to say that I th- again, you know, you're probably going to get bored about me talking about mindset changing and perception changing, but it's it really is a function of that. Where um, as a business, if we are understand that a satisfied customer, because if we look at the whole you know ecosystem of supply chain, um, you know, when we understand because businesses are ultimately there to um, you know, they're in business for profit to make money, if you see what I mean. And so where we understand that, you know, our, our primary stakeholder experience is very, very key to, you know, and it's a key driver to business results. And to get that, we need to ensure that our, our, our customers are satisfied in order for them to be repeat and to come back. But in order to get satisfied customers, we also have to have loyal and satisfied employees. And so we also need to put the con- into consideration the needs of these employees as well. It doesn't matter where they sit in the tier, whether, you know, like you rightly said, it looks like that, you know, attention is given to C-suite, but then even the security guards, you know, I'm talking in the context of even Africa and this is very 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 prevalent in Africa where you know if you're not in the boardroom you're nobody you know and for the, they're forgetting that the driver who drives you in fleet is as equally as important as you because you know if they're not in a good shape to get to your next meeting that makes the biggest decision or you know the transition for your business if that driver is not in the right frame of mind, you're equally exposed, you're at risk as well. So like you rightly said, it's really and truly understanding that everybody um, is important, is as important as each other. And we need to do that by, 
you know, taking into their consideration, their needs, you know, whether it be training needs, whether it be whatever it is, capacity building to do to, to, you know, to understand what their life goals are, you know, what are their career goals and how do they, how do we tie that in, into, into our business um, operations? Oh, I agree completely. There's so much business intelligence that exists at the, the, at the customer facing front end of an organization um, that just doesn't exist elsewhere and I think you know that that's when you really talk about human capital the amount of the business success can be driven by engagement with investment in frontline workers they are you know nobody's suggesting that businesses are all democracies but there is certainly an equal right to be heard mm. throughout because different people with different experiences bring different voices um, and different intelligence to the overall corporation So I guess I'm looking at this, again, really big picture. Um, it's about incentives and motivations, you know, and if uh, all of us in the safety and health profession, when we start to really understand what motivates a company and um, really starts to understand what's going on in this confluence of um the business world, the business community, and um, this concept of value of people versus cost. Yeah. Uh, and COVID-19 is the one, one like point in the world of right now um, that is really, it, it impacts everybody. And Tamara, to your point, it doesn't matter where they are in a company or external to a company or in the supply value chain. Um, so that is at least opening the doors, the crack in the door to start to have these conversations because companies have had to determine, right? They've had to do risk assessment on who's essential, who's not essential in terms of the human, of the people, right? The human capital. But if we start to understand the motivations, for example, the financial investment community, and we understand that um, they are starting to ask these questions, then that shifts our C-suites, that shifts our leadership because they are more motivated and they're incented to start thinking about people in a different way. And with COVID-19, I mean, it was a matter, could people even come in or not? Were they sick or not? You know, quarantine, all those kinds of things. Um, so I think that we, <laughs> safety and health professionals have to stop thinking it's just the right thing to do because we know it is. And frankly, I think if, when you ask uh, a CEO, I've done this many times, when you ask a CEO, what's, what is their why for managing safety and health? It'll come, it'll come right from their heart and their gut. Um, but then they are pushed up against their boards of directors. They're pushed up, you know, against the investors who are all focused on growth, um, market cap, you know, that kind of thing. And so, if we, we, in our profession, start to be able to have those kinds of conversations, the value will start to come. And I think, like I said, the door's already open because of COVID. Mm. Um, so, so companies have already started to think about this. And I'm not saying all companies, because there's been companies, like we said earlier, that have just made people redundant. Um, but again, it's this value proposition, it's this conversation around and it's changing motivations and incentives. So I think we, we, we as a profession, we really need to start understanding it. And to me, that is the core of why we need to be in the middle, in our organizations, um, talking about human capital. And I'll be really honest, in the past, um, there's so many safety and health professionals that I know that are like, we don't want it 
we do not want to be a part of HR. Some of some of them report to them, but some of them are like, we don't want to be part of HR. And I guess for me, it's all about building your coalitions internally and externally. Mm-hmm. It's about having those conversations with HR. They're actually your ally because they get all of this, mm-hmm. um, right? And then it's, it's about, well, this is basic principles of organizational change. You know, you, you need to find your allies, your early adopters. And I don't think safety and health professionals in general, we haven't been taught this. You know, we are agents of change. We are or change consultants and we don't even know it. So there's basic principles we can learn. Yeah. HR over time has gotten a kind of a bad rap for in some companies, how they deal with the human capital and not being seen as really wanting to protect the human capital. They are important ally because they understand so much that we don't. I think there's a gap there that we need to start bridging. So can you share, can you guys share with us um, some, some ideas about how can we start bridging that gap? Because I think sometimes HR is just at a loss of how to deal with things as we are. And together, we could really be much stronger. Yeah, I think so. There's definitely a Venn diagram, isn't there, with with HR and health and safety. And I think, you know, there are certain points on which, I mean, I love the idea that something good come out of COVID-19. And that is that, you know, the the, the idea about well-being, about, um, you know, the employee first and foremost, you know, you've got to be thinking about um, transmission and how people work together and how how they sort of come together as a system almost that a lot of the companies that I've spoken to have said that there's been such engagement around well-being that it's it's an ideal time to leverage health and safety against that so the conversations that go on um, around well-being actually you know then morph into conversations about um, about safety and with well-being traditionally I think being an HR or in my experience anyway living within HR even if that is the, the reactive side of well-being so um, you know in, employee programs and, um, and and sort of sickness absence issues and so on I think that, that together the safety and health profession and the HR profession can move into this proactive well-being space which can then act as a gateway to more conversations around safety and health in its broader broader sense than just well-being so it's really exciting time it sounds awful to say that on such a you know global uh, catastrophe like covid but i'm a i'm a positive person i'm a silver lining person um and i like to think that we could we could probably really build something out of this so the reality by job description is hr's job is compliance Yes, and we all we all want to think that their job is touchy feely, but it is not. Uh, their job description is, I mean, and then throughout the world, there are very specific rules, regulations, laws uh, around uh, the workforce. Right, and every country has a different word for it. Their job is to assure that the company is in compliance with all the um, employment laws. And, and keep the CEO out of jail, basically, right? Um, and the company, you know, uh, it, it, reputationally in, in, a, in a good place. Um, so I think if we understand that, first and foremost, 
our feelings don't get hurt because they're not quote unquote caring. They're, they're, they're not what we think that they should be. And part of the caring is making sure that, you know, the employees and the people working are safe, healthy, and they, they really have a sense of fulfillment, that concept of well-being. Um, and it's bridge. I'd like to marry. That's one of my favorite words is, you know, you got this gap, right? So we see this, we are all starting to really understand the business case for safety and health within the context of human capital. But many of our human resource managers and VPs may not be to that place. So we need to be talking and we need to be building building the bridge, creating the conversations, those, those, those spaces that just like we're doing here, where we can talk about the big picture, the business environment in which we're operating. Um, but I have to tell you, um, at least in the U.S., and they, they do have a global reach, it's, um, it's a Society for Human Resource Management. Um, they've been doing a lot of work in human capital. Um, ISO has a standard um, that they're developing through the human resource global networks um, on human capital. And they are including safety and health um, in that occupational safety, occupational health and safety as they call it um, in that. So there, there is, you know, part of that is starting to transition. But of course, I mean, just like the, our profession, it's not completely throughout yet, my other favorite word. Um, so, so I do think, I think it's bridge building, but I do think Tamara, I mean, your, your point is well taken. I mean, this is current state and I'm always, uh, and like you were talking about, you know, Kapefel, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And I'm always thinking about, okay, where do we want to be? What's future state? What does that look like? And if we, the three, four of us on this call can't envision that nobody can. And now a part of what we wanted to talk about was diversity and inclusion and the future of occupational safety and health. Uh, but I, I really want to kind of crack it even bigger open to also include the HR because we do need to become allies. Uh, it might seem like a slight um, redress in terms of going back to the previous question, because I think it links right into this as well, a little bit as well, when we're talking about forming allies and stuff. And um, uh -huh. just to build on what uh, Kathy said about the bridge and, you know, one of the ways to close this gap that we have um, and build a bridge. And I think that would be knowledge gap that is missing for um, our HR professionals, because you're right, they can interpret uh, statutory instruments or their job really is to ensure compliance to it um, to an extent, but then there has to be a balance of um, technical understanding as well as just literal interpretation of what the law is saying to have. And, you know, it just reminds me of one of the, the um, projects that I, I I'm doing in Africa is, you know, particularly in Nigeria, is working very closely with the, you know, the HR community, um, the Chartered Institute of Personnel Management, because if we are going to change any narrative, we need these, um, this set of people to indeed be our allies. And um, so one of the things, part of the bridge is capacity building, you know, because if we're talking about, um, you know, introducing policies in the organization and, and what have you, and, you know, HR are the people who are part of the recruitment process of getting the right talent on board. And if they don't understand, you know, some of the technicalities, they don't necessarily have to have everything, but a base, a foundation of it would be really good to go a long way. So, so one of the things I've recommended to the Institute is that all their HR practitioners should at least go on a basic, you know, 
OSH qualification to understand, um, you know, our challenges um, and the limitations it can present in our different jurisdictions, you know, um, where, as you can imagine, in some jurisdictions, there aren't even any law, you know, so we have to rely on um, good hearts, common sense and what have you. Um, so I just to, to add on to that, I think what one, one of the things that is required definitely is capacity building for our HR um, professionals as much as they're there to um, you know, make sure there's compliance, but compliance, how can you effectively um, pull that through if you don't have some foundational knowledge? So I think that's one of the ways to, to go about it. Yeah, I think possibly the other touch point is around training as well, because obviously training exists within the HR world. And, you know, in, in, in the roles that I've had, certainly in the last 15 years or so, um, there has been within uh, manager training, uh, quite an emphasis on stress management, stress awareness, um, you know, kind of proactive uh, management of um, of the workforce. So it's not just about, you know, productivity. It's not just about absences, but about investing um, some time to talk about stress related issues as well. So I think there's a, you know, there's a coming together there already of, I guess, a compliance with stress management standards or or occupational health and safety legislation, but also that that idea about engaging the workforce again, um, creating a safe space to talk about stress-related issues. You know, how can managers encourage openness <clears throat> or at least an open door um, attitude to uh, to those kind of issues? So we, we you you can you, you can find those touch points. It's not necessarily. Um, about forcing an issue I think they are there naturally if you set out to, to seek them. So just kind of building on on, on both Funmi and Anne because I think they're both spot on <laughs> um, we're, we are really looking at current state right and whether we're looking at current state of human resources um, Funmi uh, and I was so grateful um, had invited me to be part of a panel and I got to meet um, the, the CEO of the Chartered um, Institute for Personnel Management for, uh, for Nigeria. And I am telling you, that woman was amazing. Um, we didn't have to talk about occupational health and safety because she did. She was phenomenal. So, you know, it's a continuum, right? And, you know, so Nigeria is like way over here and, you know, some of the other countries much more, um, I mean, Canada, well, actually, I'll have to tell you, I got to make a big plug for Canada. Um, Canada has been the, uh, the, the world leader in psychological health and safety. Um, I'm, I'm part of the um, ISO 45001 leadership team. It's the, the, the actual technical committee. And um, right now we're in the process of developing um, uh, ISO 45003, which is around psychological health and safety. Well, I'm here to tell you the source document is the Canadian document, um, which has been published since 2013. So the Canadians have gotten it right um, in this particular and, and many other areas too, but this particular area, I mean, world leaders, and we, we're, we've, we, we are recognizing that globally. But kind of, so coming back to this, this concept of this continuum, you know, there's some countries that they, they don't even know what human capital is. They don't even understand, you know, even, even the concepts of human resources is just not fully understood. Um, and then there's, you know, countries um, that are way over um, to, the, to the side of really getting it. And I mean, you know, just, just meeting um, the, the CEO in, in Nigeria, I mean, she just, 
she would be able to talk us all around circles and us going, oh, is that what we should be doing? And, you know, I think this group that you put together, Tamara, is a pretty smart group of women um, to really understand this. So, so current state and, you know, there's future state where we want to be, but then there's that whole continuum in between. And I think that's what we all are working on. And I think, honestly, you know, this, the Women in Safety Network um, that's been, and hopefully, you know, you all can plug that a little bit here before we finish today. Um, but that network, why that, that is so important. And frankly, that's how I met Afame. I mean, you know, I would not have met you had it not been for that group. Um, I think that's the kinds of things, one of the kinds of things that we can do is, you know, capacity building, as you said, um, for me, yeah, that, that to me is just really, it's big, big picture, but if we're not doing it, who's going to be doing it? If we're not bridging the gaps, who's going to be doing that? And frankly, we have a lot to learn. Um, as I learned from the CEO in Nigeria for the, um, Chartered Institute. She honestly, she was amazing. So yes. <laughs> and I'm glad that you brought up um, our coalition because I do want to speak about that. And Please. so I'm, I'm going to throw out two ideas here is one, how can our coalition and oh, help help with this? And, I, and I'm hoping that you can share the vision and we've got an event coming up. So I, I don't want to, you know, um, burst any surprises. I'll leave that for you. But secondly, thinking about, is there opportunity for us to be creating a collaboration with HR through mm. what we're doing? Mm. Yeah, definitely. So the, the Global Coalition of Women in, in Safety Networks is, as you probably guessed from the title, an international uh, project really to bring all of the various women in safety networks together to, to speak together and really in essence be greater than the sum of our parts I think with what we can what we can offer mm -hmm. and the, the opportunities that we can we can put forward the discussions that we can have the problems that we can solve um, and all of all of that kind of thing um, it was it was really a the brainchild of of Louise Hosking, who's been on your podcast tomorrow a couple of times. And, and in the UK, she's the uh, president-elect of the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. So quite prestigious. And, and her and I and her and other people have been talking about this, this idea about diversity and inclusion with occupational safety and health for quite some time. Um, and, and having spoken about it and, you know, if you know Louise, you know, she's an action orientated person. Suddenly it went from just rabbiting about it to a million miles an hour project in the space of what felt like a heartbeat. Um, so also, I mean, it's a relatively long story, but ultimately her and I and Malcolm Staves, who's the global director for health and safety at L'Oreal, so we've all put our heads together and said, what can we practically do to bring these networks together and start talking to each other? And within, uh, well, I think within a week, probably, of really having floated the idea of doing this, it was almost done in terms of the concept. Malcolm and Louise know everybody. I don't, I don't really know people, but I can do stuff um, and I can organise stuff. So there, there was me. Oh, you're the chair of this global coalition now, are you? Oh, okay, fine. So I'll do that if you bring everybody else in uh, to the conversation, which they duly did. And what a what a absolutely phenomenal um, setup we have for our first meeting. I think it was the 6th of January, wasn't it? Everybody uh, was so positive uh, about how what the difference we could make uh, to conversations about diversity and inclusion, uh, not just about 
women, but about all diversity and inclusion. Um, and, you know, from, from all over the world, we had Eldine, who was at 5am, you know, wiping the sleep out of her eyes in, was, it, was she in Arizona, I think? Yeah. Um, and then we had, we had Trish and we had Karen over in, um, in Australia, you know, sort of staying up. 11, 11. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just, just to do that, you know, to be invested in it so heavily to, to do that you know, um, I was blown away by it. Um, so in a nutshell, what we're going to be trying to do is just um, is have those conversations that with a, with, a, with a vision and with some objectives around it to promote occupational safety and health as um, a profession um, to um, audiences that perhaps wouldn't have considered it or find it difficult to break into. Um, and between us, you know, we have such a wealth of experience, um, of knowledge, of time in the industry that we can reach out and help some of those fledgling networks uh, get on their feet and, and, and organise themselves a bit better. But crucially, those fledgling networks can teach us a thing or two um, if we, you know, by any chance are set in our ways, for example. You know, they're just starting out. They, they're all technology um you know, helping them right from the start and we can learn loads from that. So we're really, really excited about it. There's all sorts of, of, of opportunities for us in mentoring and career development and just, you know, chewing the fat really quite a lot of the time, I guess. So we, we, you just said about our, our first event, just to plug that whilst, I've, whilst I'm on a flow. Um, we, we, we've arranged it so that it coincides with International Women's Day, although it is the day after on the 9th of March um, and it's the it's the global women in safety congress and we've got some absolutely brilliant speakers one of whom is Kathy is that here with us <laughs> yeah exactly um, and she she and all the others will be bringing to the table just how much they have done over the years what it can teach us um, about diversity and inclusion you know how we can become involved with each other and and, and set the scene for future success throughout the industry and throughout the world whistle stop tour i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be a very exciting event so thank you for helping to put that on I know that um, I've been speaking with Albedine in um, Canada, and uh, we've been uh, looking at, you know, creating the Canadian chapter, mm -hmm. you know, so if people are interested in Canada, reach out to us, and we can help kind of bring people in here in um, Canada area. Uh, Fumi and Kathy, what about you two? Where are you guys? Um, I'm based in the UK, but like um, I am the founder of, um, you know, SOCHI, which is the Society of Women um, in Safety, Health and Environment. And that's the, across the whole of Africa. And so this is something that I, I think um, the, the coalition is amazing. It's such a laudable one um, because it also very much aligns with, um, the, you know, the objectives of SOCHI, which is, you know, having impact, uh, albeit ours is within the continent. Um, but I think it's such a great opportunity as well to be able to form or, you know, be a part of this and be beyond just Africa and, you know, um, engage with our counterparts uh, across the globe. I think it's amazing, you know, where when we're talking about this whole um, gospel that we're preaching, it's, it's without borders, you know, and we are all 
kind of reading from the same hymn book and we all want the same um, results. So I think, you know, th this is amazing. And um, Soshi is definitely plugged into this. Um, we do have women um, across the whole of Af Africa um, who are part of Soshi. And so this is something we will be um, inviting every woman, every Osh female professional, including men as well, again, like you rightly said, and it's not about um, isolating our male counterparts, it's also about bringing them on board as well. And so we do have ambassadors, male ambassadors um, of Soshi, and so we intend to use that platform as well to, um, you know, share this, this um, agenda. And, and I just want to plug, <laughs> I just think it's great that we're doing this. Um, and, and I, you know, my, my byline for my company, um, Fumi, is business without borders. I, I am so aligned with, with, with your thinking. I just think for me, it's this global network of, oh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a founding member of, we call it WISE, uh, Women in Safety. I used to be Women in Safety Engineer, but now it's Women in Safety Excellence. Um, I like WISH because I think that that's so female, but um, it was WISE. Um, and those networks are so strong. This group of women, and it's not just US, we have chapters throughout the world. Um, and, and it's about connecting those. So I'm getting ready to do some um, a presentation in uh, Malaysia and it's an international uh, women's um, conference. And uh, it's the Kuwait chapter of WISE that contacted me that said, you know, would you be interested in you know, being a part? And was like, yes. So to me, this is something that all of us should be a part of, right? So this, this, this global network, um, I, I, I'm a big coalition builder. So coalition is a word that I like because when you talk about coalition, it's a level playing field. So whether we're talking about diversity inclusion or we're talking about developing, non-developing uh, countries, um, whether we're talking about, you know, brand new or, you know, have been around for, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. It's like where it's a level playing field coming together. Yeah. So Sochi, for example, coming together with this global network, with WISE in the U.S., with what's being created in Canada. It's like we all have something to share. And that with the human resources groups, because they are all very, very, it's not women necessarily oriented, but they're very mature right in in their in, in in their networks and in their organizations so yeah just two other things i wanted to say for us diversity inclusion i want to make sure we get this in um in the conversation around diversity inclusion uh, for me you know and all of us you know being a woman in this field i was always kind of like one of the only ones. I mean, when I first got out of university, you know, we wore these little bow ties because um, it was very US to do. And we had these, you know, dark jackets and, you know, we kind of had to hide our femininity basically. And frankly, I was going on in cranes and, you know, hard hats. So I had no idea what I was even supposed to wear. I mean, that basic. Um, and there was this woman, uh, Jan Thomas, who's Sadly, she's no longer alive, but she worked for the um, enforcement agency here in the United States, OSHA. And this woman was, oh my gosh, she was my hero. She took me aside. She goes, okay, so here's what you need to get. You, here's where you go get your steel-toed shoes. Here's where you get your hard hat. Here's where you get your safety glasses. And this is what you wear to climb those cranes. Um, and I'm like, thank you. So I share that because I think that's what this network can do we can be a role model. And I think if we don't do anything else, we're a role model where there is access to 
opportunity. So opportunity, in my case, knowing what the heck to wear in a crane. Um, but for us, I mean, I think women around the world are just really competent in terms of safety and health. There's a lot of programs out there that we can do and, you know, on our own, we can get to that level. But what's missing is opportunity. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what I think this network can help with. Um, you know, I, 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 I get, you know, those recruiting things all the time. And, and they also get asked because I have a vast network. And I would just love to be able to say, okay, and this is an opportunity um, that's come, come, you know, come, come, I don't know, somewhere in Europe, for example, um, or, or in Africa or in Latin America, you know, do you guys know anybody? And obviously we're going to be thinking about women. So I think that's a natural thing. I'm going to have to jump in because it is that time where, but before we go, I do have one last question before we wrap it up. Um, Our conversation is so so amazing. I wish we didn't have to end, but can you share with us your knowledge and, and some recommendations about how uh, occupational health and safety professionals could facilitate some actions and behaviors to create more belonging and acceptance of others in our workplaces? Yes, I, I would say, um, firstly, being you know asking health and safety professionals to be at the table, because oftentimes when you look at even within the organization setting, we have decision makers who are making decisions for us professionals. And so how can we impact or influence anything if we're not at the table? So I think the first thing is to start looking at how us professionals can be invited to the table of policy uh, making. And so we can actually get that in from that point. So when we can be at the table, we can begin to see the changes that we want to see and influence the direction we actually want things to go. But I think where we have the breakdown currently is where we're not invited. We just get told what to do. We get the policies rolled out and we've got to implement. So um, without taking too much time so we don't overspill, I wanna say very big thank you for bringing me on. It's been amazing to have um, joined all these lovely women. Thank you so much. Um, And I'm looking forward to the ninth. Looking forward to the ninth. Thank you. Well, I think that engagement is my big thing. It's where I think we've got to head um, to make a a success. Um, And the more we as professionals engage with the front line, with supervisors, with first line managers, and and everybody between the chairman of the board and the you know the frontline staff it's going to be really critical because don't forget we're human capital as well um so let's not forget ourselves in all of this and the investment that we can make in our own success by getting out speaking to people by um you know inviting ourselves really to to get involved with people's work instead of standing back and telling people how they should do things get in and find out how they're doing them and strike up those conversations um, and the more you're trusted as as you know a, a key ally of of the employee cohort um, the more you're listened to the more your voice is heard um, and I think just to just to come back to what we were talking about before with the with the network part of its raison d'etre really is to is to amplify some voices um, and give confidence as well as the competence that Kathy alluded to earlier um, you know we're awash with competence but it's whether people have the confidence then to step up and do the sort of things that I've just described so uh, you know hopefully one of the um, one of the ideas behind the network is to is to provide that strength in numbers, that stronger together attitude to say, you know, you can, we've, we've done it. 
you know there's there's a million women that have done it you can do it as well and that's where I think we need to head oh yes <laughs> yeah yeah I love it I love it um so so just to answer um your 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 query I think it comes back to bridge building at a very, very high level. It's, it's, you know, as Fumi had said, it's having a seat at the table. Um, but it's not just having a seat at the table. It's actually having a seat at the table with decision, useful information, right? That impacts the business. It's coming to the table with an understanding of what the risks and what the opportunities are for the organization, not being the police, but actually being a, a, a part of the decision-making process. So we are part of the decision-makers, um, but we don't necessarily have the authority to make the decision. So it is engaging with the C-suite. And it's not just at the board of directors meetings or at their um, leadership team meetings. It's the one-on-one -on -one conversations that we're having with the CFOs. Um, and if we can't get to the CFOs, we can figure out how to get to them via you know, whatever the hierarchy is in your organization. But we have to be knowledgeable first. We need to understand what our current state is. We need to understand and envision what the future state is. And how we get there is by finding early adopters. That's what I call them in your company. That, you know, the light bulb goes on as you're talking to me. You think, okay, I need to come back to this person because that person's going to help. I call it the ripple effect. Help influence the rest of people, both upwardly as well as, you know, at, on the leader uh, of the the, the people working closest to the hazards. So it's idea, it's not just our voices, but the ripple effect, it's all the voices that are starting eventually uh, to come together. So, so to me, and I'm so all about what you said, Anne, I, it's all about amplifying the message, right? First, we got to figure out what the heck's the message. And then we have to figure out what are those incentives? What are the motivators? And if we start to understand it's the stakeholders, which include workers, at all levels of the company. Um, and it also includes your investment community and includes the expectations of your customers. Um, frankly, in the world of sustainability and human capital, because that is really starting to move. Um, but we have to keep up with that. So um, I don't know, Tamara, uh, if you're gonna have an opportunity to be, to be able to put links to some things, but yeah. all the things that I've talked about today, um, I was invited to do a think piece uh, for the World Safety Day, um, actually 2019. Um, and I talked about connecting the dots, that's my thing, uh, connecting the dots between um, OSH and corporate performance. And it kind of ties in a lot of the things that I've been talking about today with human capital, sustainability and ESG investing. Um, so I would be happy to share that with you um, if that would be helpful. Yeah, no, that would be great. We are going to put resources um, to this episode on the episode page, as well as the contact information of all our guests that were here today so that the audience can go to see, get that themselves. So great, Kathy, that would be great. And, and to any resources that you have to help people along, you know, and, and one more area that I'd like to kind of crack open if you have one more minute is about how we can also help provide voice and empowerment into the workforces and the supervisors and all those individuals as well. Um, that That is something that we can harness our advocacy inside of us to lift other people up. What are your thoughts around that? Well, 
I don't mean to talk too much. <laughs> um, I think our superpower, and we don't even know it, our superpower is our capacity to listen. Because if we listen to people throughout the organization, everyone, you, what you do is you, and this is, again, principles of organizational change, what you get to do is you start to find the threads. And yeah. the threads aren't coming from me. The threads are coming from all of the various people. So, oh, lockout, tagout's an issue. And by the way, our, our contractor uh, safety management is a mess. And we're having issues um, in terms of we just had a, you know, a, a, an energy um, uh, issue that happened and was almost a fatality. It, you know, things just start to happen. And oh, by the way, that was two or three years ago. And oh, we really haven't, you know, updated that, that energy management process that we have. And, oh, by the way, you know, in our case, OSHA or HSE, uh, Canadian regulators um, are, are, have come in and we actually got a citation for that and we need to do something. Do you see what I'm saying? As, you, as you're listening through and then you're finding out that your electricians or um, the, the folks in your maintenance um, area, they actually nod, nod, wink, wink, know that they can't use that process because it's not usable. Now for me, our superpower is to bring all of those people together, not for us to solve the problem, but for us to bring those people together and say, this is, this is sort of what's bubbling up. And then let them talk it through and let them come up with a solution because that solution will be implemented because everybody has had a part of it. So to me, I think the safety and health professional, our superpowers are listening capacity. Amen, sister. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just completely agree with that. And, and also just bolt on that, you know, with, with engagement with the workforce by the health and safety profession comes permission for the workforce to speak up mm. um, and to, you know, maybe discuss how things can be better out with the health and safety management system that currently exists. So those conversations, they can be organic, they can, but they can, they can grow and they can, um, they can mature into, um, you know, promoting an organization that is a listening organization that, that, you know, nothing's off limits if you want to step forward um, and come up with those ideas. So I think we, we as a profession need to um, develop that open mind. So we're not the rule setters. We are the listeners, exactly what you've just said. And, and with, with listening comes intelligence, business intelligence, and, um, and therefore the capacity to really make a difference. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for being on the show. I hope you had a good time. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. Yes. Loved it. Same, same. It was really fun. And it's nice to be on, on here with you, Anne. Um, I get to know you a little bit better, too. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Women in Safety. That was an amazing conversation. We're going to put the resources mentioned in the episode on our episode page. So please navigate to safopedia.com and look under podcast under the menu and you'll find the episode there and links to the resources that Kathy and everybody were speaking to. Are you looking for some health and safety content to share out with your teens in your network? please navigate to safepedia.com where you can find webinars, white papers, Q&As, and so much more to share out with your network. Until next time, stay safe.